Hey, welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Check us out on the web at missiodeschicago.com. Father, we come to you as your children, Papa, that you would just meet us today. Uh, I pray for every man, woman, and child in this place that you would um, envelop them into your like loving care today. Um, that you would see uh, that we would see you, Lord, as one who provides for us and takes care of us and gives us everything we need in this life to make your name great. So, God, would you make your glory come in this place? Would you shine it? Would you let it fall upon us? Would your glory be in this room and in our hearts, Lord? Would you um, comfort those who are weak and challenge those who um, are maybe opposed to you and just let them sense that like, there's no more resisting with you because you're so good and trustworthy. You're so faithful to us. Um, so God, would you pour out your faithfulness upon us? May we, may we exhaust your faithfulness. May we just, um, just trust you with everything we have today. Um, would you, would you um, meet us where we are in this journey of life in Chicago? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, you guys can have a seat. How are you guys doing today? Good? Good. All right, it's Eastertide. Ow, yeah. I don't know what that was, but whatever you did, Eric, was amazing. Um, and so uh, Eastertide is a time of celebration after the resurrection of Jesus, and we're doing this series called Milk and Honey. All right, so Milk and Honey... Um, you know, sorry for those lactose intolerant people, but it's just an analogy, guys, all right, chill out. Um, But it's an analogy that Jesus, um, that the Old Testament gives, that when God set his people free from slavery, he said, I'm going to give you a place flowing with milk and honey. So this series, um, what it is about is about the generosity of God towards us. Um, It is a series on generosity and greed. Um, So we want to be talking about for the next four weeks, how do we steward all that we have, our talents, our time, our resources, um, and just up front, it's mostly a series towards our money. Um, churches don't talk a lot about money a whole lot. Um, we, we in the past have not, I think I've only done one sermon in five years about money. I'm not like bragging about that. I actually think that like, <clears throat> I actually think that like we, a lot of times people are like, oh, churches, all they want is their money. And I think actually churches don't talk about money a whole lot. Like we actually never talk about Actually, the question I get from newcomers all the time is, how do you survive because you never talk about money? Um, and, and so like, I think I just want to kind of like balance that a little bit like, and just recognize that like, as Christians, we have the true story. Um, and we believe we have the true story. And um, it, is a, it is a story of, of God's goodness and grace to us. Before I could forget, uh, Brian Skender, where are you at? Happy birthday, dude. Just want to tell you. Love you, man. Just want to tell you, happy birthday. Um, just had a little ADHD moment. Um, but um, I, I think that we, we, we uh, have the true story, and they're the sake, we, we divide like, things like money in this secular category, and we think of like, things like church and, and faith and love in this like, sacred category. And with the true story of God, there's no sacred and secular divide. There's not. It's one united thing that we are a whole being with everything that we have. Um, and so um, when we look at this like series on generosity and greed, like it's going to tap some places. I think money is probably one of the most sensitive topics. Um, if you, it's more acceptable today in Chicago to talk about your sex life than your money life. Would anybody agree with that? Like it's, it's so, um, I think that there's a lot of wounds wrapped up in the money. I personally have my own. Um, this is like also in this series, I am a, a journey, a sojourner with you, 
as I work through my own wounds about money, um, my own issues with, with money. Um, I'm not only uh, the president of the hair club for men, I'm also a client. All right, so, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> I'm with you on this journey. I'm with you on this journey. So this is not me coming to you of like, sometimes I think it's easy to think that the pastor's preaching all these things because like he knows how to do, no, I'm like, I love what Eugene Peterson said, like the church is not a, a, a community of saints, it's a hospital for sinners in which the pastor is one of the most ones, right? And so I'm with you on this journey. just want to proclaim that first. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, we're talking about generosity and greed. Now, how many of you would just be vulnerable and say, like, I'm a greedy person? Raise your hand. Okay, a few. Oh, wow. A lot of you. Okay. Um, so I, I think greed is sometimes one of those things that we just like, yeah, like, everybody's greedy, right? Like, we just accept it before you. Like, it's just like, yeah, that's just kind of like who we are. Like, if I were to come to you as your pastor and say, hey, guys, I just want to confess to you, I'm struggling with lust. Like, I'm checking some of you out. Like, you would be like, oh, my gosh, what is happening? We got to leave. But if I was like, hey, guys, I'm struggling with greed, you'd be like, yes, everybody does. So what? Like, we just treat it as this thing that's like so acceptable in the church that we're so busy to point out all these other cultural sins but yet we do not talk about the, the lie of, of greed and the, the idolatry of greed and what it does to our hearts. And what I've been thinking and pondering about, there's two resources I've been reading. Um, one's a guy named Walter Brueggemann called Money and Possessions. The other is Neither Poverty Nor Riches by Craig Bloomberg, if you want some theological reading. There you go. I can give it to you later. Um, but a lot of the things I've been reading come from those two sources. Um, but I've been thinking a lot about this like lie of scarcity, this mindset of scarcity, amen, that like we have this idea and this lie that like our resources are going to run out, we're not going to have enough, we've got to get enough because there's not enough to go around. Um, and it's, it's an it's a ideology that governs our imagination in our world, and it's, we're swimming in it so deeply that you can't even see it. Um, and so uh, it, it, this idea that there's a limited amount of resources and we measure our success by the fact that we can see someone else less successful and us more. And so we're going to run out. So what do we need to do? We need to deport immigrants because there's not enough jobs. Scarcity mindset. We need to, we need to uh, suppress voters because we don't want certain people to vote because if they vote, they'll get some of our good goodies. Historically, if you think about cotton, like where, there's a book all about cotton. Think about every, every time you put on cotton, like what, where that comes from. Um, it, it's a sense that like there was a scarcity and we've got to increase the demand of slaves so that we can have more and more and more because we're going to run out. Um, and so this, this mindset, and it's not a political thing, it's just this, this sense that permeates us that like if, we, if, if everything is scarce, we've got to accumulate for us. Um, and actually the greatest... Scar uh, scarcity. Is it, do you guys say scarcity or scarcity? Scarcity. 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 All right. It's my southernness coming out a little bit. The greatest scarcity, by the way, the greatest scarcity, the, great, the most scarce resource in our world is an abundant mentality. That's the greatest scarcity in our world. That we don't have a view that we have a good God that created this earth and in his creation is teeming and filling with resources and abundance to give to his children. And that there's enough to go around. And the idea that, there, that we don't have enough to go around is a lie. It is a lie. And so um, I want us to kind of look at like the narrative of the Bible today. I'm gonna, we're going to be in a lot of scripture. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Exodus 3. 
And then also want to talk personally, how's this, how do we, um, how do we like confront this like idea of scarcity in our um, own life? And that's in Matthew 25. Um, but uh, Exodus 3, um, let me just dive right in with you. Um, this this uh, idea that we are not going to have enough, um, it comes like from, again, the biblical story, beginning, creation. God created the world, created a good. Um, when he created Adam and Eve in the Hebrew, he says, I want to give you this garden and I want you to eat. In the Hebrew, it just says, I want you to eat, eat. I want you to, and we translate it as eat freely. I want you to eat eat. I want you to eat freely. I want to give you abundance in this place. Um, but yet, God's people become enslaved in Egypt under Pharaoh's reign and rule. And under Pharaoh's kingdom and his dominant ideology, is uh, everything is built around extraction. Extraction. So instead, of, it's a scarcity mindset that we've got to extract from people in order to build this kingdom. We've got to take, and it's ironic that Pharaoh, who has the most resources, the most power, the most of everything, has two nightmares about not having enough. Isn't that ironic? That the guy who has it all has nightmares about running out. And so Pharaoh, uh, J- Joseph comes and interprets those dreams. He's a, he's, a, he's a Hebrew. He becomes an instrument in the midst of his uh, kingdom. And um, he, what, 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 what Pharaoh did is he began to take food and take Israelites' land, and he made them slaves. And then in Exodus 3, um, the Lord begins to talk to Moses and says this in verse 7, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the blah, 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 a lot of a lot of bites. All right, I hate this part. I'm just and and now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Did you notice this? I love that. It's like, God's like, I have seen the affliction. I'm going to free you from Egypt. I'm going to set you free. I'm going to give you a land with milk and honey. Now you go talk to Pharaoh. All right? So I love what God's doing is he's, often we kind of think of God as this like micromanager taskmaster, but actually God is this like, not a micromanager. He's like, I've given you abundance and I've given you gifts, Moses. He was like, I don't have any gifts. I can't talk. Like talk to Aaron. He's like, He's like, just go. Like, I'll give you the words. I'll throw a s- s- rod on the ground. It'll turn into a snake. What else do you want me to do? Like, God's like, I can do whatever you want. I have abundance. And he says, I want you to go. And then he says, I'm going to give you a land, milk, and honey. Now, I want to show you this. This is pretty crazy. When he says, I want to give you a land flowing with milk and honey, God didn't have, like, somewhere in mind. Like, he's imagining a future for them. Like, God has an imagination for you and in a future of abundance for you. And he's imagining that for you right now. He's imagining that for them. Like, he didn't have this. That's why it's a metaphor. He didn't, like, have, like, I got this glorious city. It's called Ur. You're going to go there, and you're going to conquer it and take it over. No, he's like, I've given you everything you need, the responsibility to team with creation, work, and, and, and coincide and create and be innovative and cultivate the earth. And I've got an imagination for you of abundance, and I'm going to take you there. And I'm going to free you from this mindset of, 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 of scarcity. I'm going to say it wrong a bunch. Sc- uh, scarcity. <laughs> scarcity. And I'm going to give you a, a mindset of, of abundance. And so in the real alternative to a scarcity mindset is an abundant mindset. It's that God has created this world good and with abundance. And because of that, we can share all that he has given us. 
We can work with God's kingdom to bless the poor, bless the immigrant, bless the widow, serve and make sure that there's more to go around than there's more than enough. Sometimes when I'm, when I'm saying the word abundance, you're starting to think of like, oh yeah, sounds nice, the abundant life. You're starting to think of like accumulating wealth. No, 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 no. The, I, an abundant mindset actually says, I don't have to hoard my wealth because there's enough to go around. I can actually keep going and giving and giving. We kind of got to, we need to get back into preschool mode. Um, I don't know if you, preschoolers, like for your birthday, you guys, I don't know if you did this, but like you, for your birthday, you don't get gifts, you like bring the gifts, like you bring the cupcakes, right? Um, we need to, like you get in your, your preschoolers like, oh, it's my birthday and I have to give cupcakes. I'm like, just share the cupcake, honey. Just Cora, share the cupcake. Like that's the world we live, like it's all yours to share. And that's the abundant life. And so he says, I'm going to give you this land with milk and honey. And then Exodus 15, they began to dance with tambourine. The women are dancing with tambourine, shouting all the gods. They freed them from Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea, right? You know that moment where they crossed the Red Sea. They're free from Pharaoh's rule and reign. And then in chapter 16, verse 2, just two verses after they're freed, they say this. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Wouldn't we, we would be better off dead under the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. But now you've brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Do you see this? They want to go back to Pharaoh's extraction mindset, this, this, this mindset of taking, 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 because it has a huge grip on their imagination. It has a huge grip on their imagination. So some, they go ahead, um, and the wilderness represents two things. It's one, life beyond the reach of Pharaoh. It's life beyond the reach of Pharaoh. And two, it's a place where there are no viable life supports. And because Pharaoh has all the bread and all the meat, they are freaking out because they still have a scarcity mindset. And Pharaoh wants them to think that there's no life beyond Pharaoh. The outcome of the narrative is that they discover in the wilderness beyond the reach of Pharaoh, there's actually abundance. Beyond this mindset of scarcity, there's actually abundance. There's, God gives them abundant bread. He gives them abundant meat. He gives them abundant water. And it is the surprise of the Bible that beyond the extraction and scarcity mindset, there's an abundance that permits Sabbath rest. And that's amazing that the first moment of rest we see is next that, that chapter, Exodus 16, that under this mindset of scarcity, there is no Sabbath rest. Like, you cannot have Sabbath rest in Pharaoh's rule and reign. But then there's this other dramatic moment where they get to Mount Sinai. And what happens in Mount Sinai? They get the what in Exodus 20? The Ten Commandments, right? I know we kind of like, oh, the Ten Commandments. But this is like, do you know what the Ten Commandments are? It's God saying like, this is the, the abundant life. This is how life works best. What does he say in verse one of the Ten Commandments? And God spoke all these things saying, I am the Lord your God who did what? Brought you where? Out of the scarcity mindset, out of the extraction worldview. Take, take, take worldview. I've taken you out of that taking you out of that house of slavery. You're no longer to be working on that worldview. Let me give you a whole new worldview. Let me give you how life works best. And what's in the middle of those 10 commandments? Sabbath rest. And what's at the very end of those 10 commandments? Don't don't covet what your neighbor has. Don't want what everyone else has. Stop comparing yourself. Stop thinking that you have to take for yourself. When I have come to give you abundance, I've given you a life for the full. I've given you every talent, every resource that you need. And so he, he, what happens is this. Next slide. 
So what we see is um, they move from being slaves and oppressed to salvation to going to this land filled with milk and honey in which they experience freedom. Freedom. And we are not free just to exist as the church. We are set free to work with God in bringing his kingdom to earth. And so they, they come and they have this abundance that God gives them. He's like, we, we had manna fallen from the sky. They had meat. They had all that they needed to get them through this experience. And then what happens? They, uh, we, we, we talk a lot about Solomon in the church often of like being the wisest guy in the world. But Solomon hung his, his own life. with his, He didn't listen to his wisdom that he wrote and just basically hung, hung himself with the lack of like listening to his wisdom and basically became an oppressor. I mean, he, where, did, where did Israel get all this wealth? They got all this wealth because they were, they were using cheap labor, extracting uh, workers for cheap, cheap labor, um, and, and they began to uh, tax way more than they needed to to Israel so they could build a massive temple. Um, and so they then become the oppressors and the extractors. And then what happens later is then they, then, then they become, the cycle just continues. Um, they then become enslaved, they become in exile to both Babylon Empire and the Persian Empire, and they um, come to a moment in Nehemiah chapter 9 where Ezra is just praying this prayer of confession and repentance, and look at this, look at what he says. After that, they become these people of slave drivers where you see all the minor prophets being like, you're not giving me the true worship, and then this cries out from Ezra, he says, but see, we are slaves today. Slaves in the land you gave our ancestors so that they could eat its fruit and the other good things it produces. Because of our sins, its abundant harvest goes to the kings you've placed over us. They rule over our bodies and our cattle as they please. We are in great distress. And it's because they've, 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 they have not, it all rules, comes back to this mentality. It all comes back to this mentality. And God today wants to change many of your mentality from a scarcity mentality to an abundant mentality. So how is he going to do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, I want you to turn to Matthew 25. Matthew 25, all right? You guys doing okay? Hanging in there? All right, so that's a little bit of an overview um, of the Old Testament, just real quick. But I want to show you, Jesus talks more about money than he does about heaven and hell combined is mind-blowing. Like, the connections between money and salvation are intricately tied together in such ways. I mean, you look at, like, the Zacchaeus, the tax collector. He's, a tax collector would have been getting tax money from his own people to pay the Roman government, but then they would get a bigger cut for themselves so they could take and take and take. And Jesus comes to Zacchaeus, the tax collector, and says, give, give, uh, give, give back everything that you've taken and actually double the interest by four double the payment by four, and he, and he repents, believes, and does so, and Jesus um, welcomes him into his house prior to all that. It's the grace of God. Anyway, the whole point is that God's, when you start to see this throughout Scripture, it changes your, your view of the way you read the Scriptures. Um, let me give you an example I heard from, um, the, actually, the author of this book, um, someone from our uh, Monsieur de Rigleville deacon. We had a retreat, and she quoted this woman, Christina Cleveland, um, and she talked about uh, this, the healing of, of Jairus' daughter. Um, in Luke 8, um, there is a man that is a ruler, he's, a, he's, he's, he's respected, and his daughter is dying. He goes to Jesus and says, my daughter's dying, I need you to heal her. Um, and then Jesus is in this crowd, he's, he's packed, everyone's packed in, and this woman who's been bleeding 
from blo- bleeding with blood for 12 years, hemorrhaging with blood for 12 years. Um, she probably was poor. She probably was on the bottom ring of society, bottom class. She probably smelled very, very, um, very, very badly. Um, and she uh, just says, if I can just touch the hem of Jesus' garment, he'll heal me. And she, she, he's walking and he feels his power leave him and he goes, who touched me? And his disciples are like, everybody's touching you, Jesus. What are you talking about who touched you? Like, there's no way that you can, and he stops. And the disciples are like, dude, wait a minute. Let me give you some PR advice, Jesus. Jairus is a ruler. If you heal his daughter, your whole kingdom's gonna explode because this dude means something. He's at the top. He's got a lot. He's a ruler. He's important. You better go heal him because if you do that, this is gonna be amazing. Everybody's gonna know about you. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Like, who touched me? And he goes to this woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. And he says, your faith has made you well. And he heals her and takes time. And Jairus' daughter dies. And so if you're Jairus at this moment, and you have an extraction worldview, you have a scarcity mind, what are you thinking? There's not enough power. There's not enough healing to go around. My daughter's dead. Like, I I need at that moment, he could have been like, Jesus, no, you can't do that. Like, my daughter's more important. You have to, he had to wait patiently for this woman to be healed. And then Jesus, he says that the woman tells the truth. I'm sure it was a really long story. She tells the truth of all that she experienced. And Jairus hears it. And his faith grows after seeing her healed and encountered. And then because of that, he, he says, Jesus, just say it. Just say that she'll be healed. And Jesus goes to her house. He, he touches her and says, Talitha, rise, and she raises from the dead. So this, this, this thing is that, like, Jairus, if he had a scarcity worldview, I mean, he would, have, he would have been freaking out. But if he has an abundant worldview, he goes, there's enough healing to go around. Jesus has more than all I need. God has more than all I need. I can, I can wait. I don't have to extract from me. And think about Jesus. Jesus doesn't, doesn't give in to the extraction worldview because he could have used Jairus for his kingdom. You can be like, you know what, I'm going to actually use you. I'm going to heal your daughter so my kingdom will grow. I'm going to extract from you. But Jesus will not play by those rules because he is a God of, he's, he's a man of abundance. He's a man of grace. Now, I want you to get personal. How do we break through this? There's a lot of passages in the Bible, but I just have time for one. Matthew 25, Jesus gives this parable of a, of a kingdom. He says, the kingdom of God, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one, he gave five talents. And then to another servant, he gave two talents. And then to another, one talent. So he's got five, two, and one, three different people, to each according to his ability. Then he went away, and he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. And he made five talents and had received the five talents and went at once and traded with them. And so the one with five talents made five more talents. Verse 17, so also he who had the two talents made two more talents. So they doubled what they had been given to give back to the master. But he who had received one talent, he went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five more talents more. His master said to them, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. 
And he also, who had the, the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents here. I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I'll give you more, more, more. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathered where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. A little harsh. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered, it appears harsh, where I scattered no seed. Verse 27, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has, has will be given more and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now, there's, there's a recap. To three people, one got five talents, doubled it, got five. Another got two, doubled it, got four. One had one talent. He was afraid to, to do anything with that talent. He hid it in the ground. His master came back. He's like, what'd you do with my talent? He's like, nothing. I was scared. And I, you're, you're kind of like a hard master anyway. So I didn't, I was... I just hit it because I knew I'd give it back to you, and that's good enough. And he's like, you, just, you have zero eternal value, is what he tells this man. He says, actually, give your one talent and give it to the guy ten. What is going on here? I don't want to talk about the two guys that did it right. I want to talk about the one guy who was stupid, okay? Um, so uh, how do we not be stupid? Um, and so uh, I want to focus on this guy because he had an opportunity of a lifetime, and he lost it. He, his life, in the end, was zero eternal value. Zero eternal value. Now, I want to say this from the beginning. It says that they were talents, not values. These were like, um, in a sense, uh, they could, talent was like a weight, like a pound. And so uh, commentaries say here that like the one talent was probably like, if it was gold, it would have been like 75 pounds of gold. That's a lot of gold, all right? Um, so the, the parable here is that he gave abundance to all of these people. You got to get that clear. An abundance to all these people, all right? And so I love that this parable is about God and us because the master gives you a resource and he entrusts you with everything you should do with it. When he comes, he comes to settle the accounts. He never posture, he never like judges them for their failure. He wants to leverage he, each of them to leverage them for their success. And he gave to each of them what would optimize their life the most, and to leverage their greatest value for the Lord. And so the master comes to settle accounts, and then they multiplied, and the third buries it. But when he buried the talent, he chose to live a life out of scarcity. He chose to live a life out of scarcity. We look at this person who has very little, and we probably like sometimes think when we see someone with very little, we often think, well, God must have, like, he, they didn't give them what they need. Like, God held back on them. Um, maybe they were just maybe God was holding back on them. Um, have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like you have so little in comparison to other people? You ever felt like that? This parable, though, is not about a person having zero talent or zero capacity. It's about what they did, what was given to them. They gave the master back exactly what the, ga- the master gave them. And so you, wouldn't you think that's enough? You're like, okay, that's great. You gave me back what I gave you. That's awesome. You didn't lose anything. But the master does not want a zero eternal value from you. He expected to get in return what he entrusted them with. He's like, I entrusted you with talent. 
each of you. I've entrusted you with resources. I've entrusted you with a mind. I've entrusted you with, with so much. And what I expect is to get back an internal investment into my kingdom. So how do we keep ourselves from living in a scarcity mindset? Oh, by the way, I just want to pause here. Have you ever noticed how some people, like, they've got everything? Like, have you ever seen somebody who's, like, good-looking, and you're like, well, at least they're stupid. And you're like, <laughs> and then you talk to them, and they're like, they're actually really smart. Well, at least they're not talented. And you're like, wait, they're really talented. Like, the person that comes to mind is, like, Tom Brady, right? Tom Brady. You're like, Tom Brady, you're, or, or, okay, no, like, Justin Timberlake. How about that one? <laughs> Justin Timberlake. All right, Justin Timberlake, you can just stand there. You can just be good-looking, and that would be your talent. Like, Today, good-looking is a talent. It's called supermodel. Like, you could just stand there and be like, wow, look at Justin Timberlake. But he's also the most greatest, talented and just musician in the world. And he's also an amazing actor. And you're like, <laughs> don't hate on Justin Timberlake. <laughs> so, it's like sometimes you see these people like, why? Like, why, God, did you do that? Like, you could have just given them one good thing, but you've given them everything. Have you ever had that thought before, or am I just the only one? Okay, okay. Just a, this crowd's in alignment. I like that. It's this, you're just like, that's just not right. Um, this thing that's like, the thing that I want to show you is this. Like, what Jesus is, tr- what Jesus is trying to show is 75 pounds of gold. Remember, he's saying, you could have all the talent, all the wealth, all the resources, all the good looks, and <laughs> have zero eternal value because you've wasted it on yourself. If you have all the talent, if you use all of your talent, all of your resources on you, Jesus says you have wasted your life. You've wasted your life. So people who appear like they're just killing it at life, but yet it's all focused on them, Jesus says you're just basically like a zero sum. Zero sum. Not that he doesn't, again, this is not about worth. Every person is made in the image of God. But he's saying, as a Christ follower especially, this is zero eternal value with your life because you have used all of your talent, all of your smarts, all of your giftings, all of your resources on you. On you. If you want to get psychological, just read Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. What's the highest? It's giving of yourself. It's giving yourself away. So how do we break this mindset? Read verse 24. He says, he also who had received the one talent came forward. So what did he say? Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you had no seed. It is because, do you see what he's doing? He's saying, God, it is because of who you are, and that's why I am who I am. He's saying, God, because the master, because of who you are, you're this hard person. It's your fault for why I did what I did. So he blames. The first thing we have to stop doing, church, is blaming. We've got to stop blaming God. That it is because of you, who you are for why I am. Have you ever thought about the gift it is to be born into the right family? I mean, the gift to be born into the right family, that you, the, something you never chose changes your trajectory. That like if you were born into a certain family with a certain income, you had no control of it. It is a complete gift. There are things that are an incredible benefit to you. And if your family was dysfunctional, if you were born into that family, you were damaged. If you were born into a loving, good family, you were well off. Just by the color of your skin affects whether you are ahead or behind in our society. 
And it can be a benefit or a consequence. Just because of you're the wrong nationality in the wrong place, you have no control over that. Now, some of you are here, and you blame where you came from and what happened to you and where you are right now. And the, the, the difficult thing about that is you're right. You're right. You are at a disadvantage. You are, you, you, you did, you were born into a dysfunctional family. It did set you back. It was an unfair disadvantage. But just because it's not your fault doesn't mean that God has not been abundantly good to you and that he's given you responsibility over your life. And so, yes, it was not your fault, but it is your responsibility to do something with your life. And this is what this guy says. He goes, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered. He, he blamed God for his lack of initiative. He blamed God for his lack of generosity. You think about like atheists. I don't know about you, but like atheists, they, they, they don't believe in God because there's so much suffering. You never meet an atheist who's like, there's just so much beauty in the world. I want to be an atheist, but I just can't. <laughs> you ever thought about that? Like, there's just so much beauty. There's so much forgiveness in the world. I can't believe there's not a God. There's so much beauty in the world. I just can't believe that there's not a God. Why, why is it that we blame God for all that is wrong, but we don't give him credit for everything that is good? We don't give him credit for everything that's good. The servant is blaming the master for his life. And what's amazing is this. Everything we know about the master tells us, tells us that he, he's wrong. Think about this. The master gives them all part of his wealth and just says, do whatever you want with it. Can you, I know people who like manage like billionaires' money. Can you imagine someone just giving you like all their wealth and be like, no rules, do whatever you want? That's what God's saying. I'm giving you so much. I'm giving you 75 pounds of gold. Do what? Do with it. Work with it. And make it grow. Give back to me later. Like, give it to me. Make a difference in this world. Make your life of eternal value. That's what he's saying. He's like, I just want to give. That's a generous person, and that's a person you can trust. And the thing is this. The matter, the ma- this is amazing. The master trusts the servant more than the servant trusts the master. The master completely trusted the servant, and the servant didn't trust the master. And the thing is, we project who we are onto others. The reason that this servant wasn't generous, the reason the servant didn't invest into God's kingdom, the reason the servant didn't do anything with it is because he was not a trustworthy person, and he projected that untrustfulness onto his master. And, and, and so he's, he's, because we are broken by this broken world, we develop these mechanisms of, of trust, and, and, and therefore, we're like, God, you're not worthy of trust. He's saying, I am worthy of trust. Like, I'm an abundant to you. I've given you so many good gifts. I've given you the breath you breathe. I've given you this life. I've given you fullness. I've given you clothing. I've given you everything you need to survive and more. And so he says, stop blaming others. Stop blaming God. And know that he is a master worthy to be trusted. And he's actually projecting his trust onto you right now. That's how good our God is. He's proje- he's, he trusts you so much. He's projecting that onto you and knowing that you're going to trust me because you're my children. This is so good, guys. Um, he, so the second thing we have to do, we have to stop blaming others, but we also have to stop living in fear. Did you notice what he said? He said, I was afraid, so I hid your wealth in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you, but, I was, but I was af- I'm just going to give you this, this, this one talent back. And I've learned this, too, that people, we are afraid not because of the object out there that's so dangerous, but because of the fear inside of us. 
We're not afraid because of the object out there so dangerous. We're afraid of our essence. We're afraid of what is in us. We're afraid of this right here. And his fear kept him from the opportunity, kept him from the opportunity. He could have been the one who gave them all. Like he could have, who's to say that he couldn't have given way more than the guy that had five? He could have taken that one and given above and beyond and just multiplied it and multiplied it and multiplied it and given it back to God above and above and above and above. I'd, I'd rather be the one, the guy who got one and outgave the guy who had five. Amen? When, I, that's, I would love that to be my narrative. God's working on me. Um, and so here's the mindset problem. He actually believed what belonged to his master was simply what his master gave him, not the gifts and talents and resources of what the master gave him. If all you do is take what is given to you and you use it for yourself, your life is of zero eternal worth, he's saying. So you may have looked like you've created a lot, but reality is there's a lot of people out there doing that, and they are just extracting, 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 consuming, consuming, consuming. And it's fear-based. It's out of fear. It's out of fear. So we must, instead of fear, we've got to come to this posture of trust. We've got to be responsible with the God, God-given life we've given us. And, um, and so how do we break that mindset? That we just, it's really simple, guys. We just stop living for ourselves. We've got to stop living for ourselves. And we've got to live for someone else. Live for the life of one other person outside of your immediate family. And, it, and if you really want to break the cycle, start living for the one life who gave you life. Start living for the creator of this God who owns it all. And it's all his anyway. And give your life to him. It is the greatest exchange. And it is a very unfair exchange. Very unfair exchange. I, I, I don't understand Bitcoin, how it works. You know, I asked several people, like, how does the whole thing work? Like, I'm just trying to, like, you're mining, you're mining for big, okay. I don't get it, but there's, this is an exchange that I completely get. Because God's life that is pure and perfect took on human flesh and is a life that I could never live, and he gave it to me. And he took the life that I deserve, which is death. And it's a very unfair exchange. But it is here to give you life. And so for you, some of you are like, yeah, I gave my life to Jesus from a money sermon. <laughs> You're like, from a stewardship sermon. Because the deal is, is he is the author of all of your life right here today. If that's you, if you've never surrendered your life to him, today's the day of salvation. Because he wants to give abundantly to you. He wants to give his grace to you. He wants to give his son, Jesus Christ, to you. And for the rest of us who do have received that eternal life, we can change our mindset. We can say, look, God, you're an abundant God, and I don't have to hoard. I don't have to, I don't have to consume out of fear. Because you're so good, I can keep giving and giving and giving because I want to look like the character of God, amen? I want to look like the character of God. So may we be a church that's just generous. You guys already are generous, but I want us to see it go to the next level. I want to see this church go to the next level. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your abundance. We thank you for who you are. I pray that you just take any words that I said that were troublesome for some or maybe didn't make sense. I know that I've said a lot. I pray you'd sort them out by your spirit. I pray right now that we would just um, zoom in on what you want to say to us.
what will you do with your one and precious wildlife? May you, Missy O'Day, I just want to pray for you. Just have the honor to pray for each of you. If that's you, if you're here, you're like, you know, I want to give my life to him because he gave his whole life to me. Would you just pray a simple prayer? Jesus, I give you my life because you gave me yours. Would you say that for the first time? If that's you. For the very first time, you're like, I give you my life because you gave me really since today is the day of your salvation and if that's you if that's the first time you've prayed that prayer could you just uh, raise your hand so I can just make eye contact with you and pray for you just raise your hand you're like I want to want this, this to be the day of my salvation amen thank you thank you others of you been, you just convicted this, like, I've been extracting, 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 because I'm scared I'll run out, and I've been living for myself, if that's you, you just, no one looking around, I just want to humbly pray for you, if you could so humbly just confess that, and say, I want to stop living for myself and live for God's kingdom, would you just, a small act of faith, can I just pray for you, just raise your hand so I can pray over you. God, we pray for those in this room who you made so good and glorious. May you free us from this lie that there's not enough of your presence to go around. May you free these people in this room to the lie that, that we get so anxious that you're not going to give us what we need. May you free us to love free us to serve, free us to give of our talents to you, give our gifts to you, give our resources to you, our intellect to you, because you're going to grow it. You're going to manifest yourself in it. You're going to make your glory great today. You do that in these people's lives today. In Jesus' name we pray.